Would you say that you find yourself on the side of faith or doubt in most things in life right now? You know, big things like government, uh, news coverage, the medical community, uh, education, the church, or personal things like your relationships with friends and family, co-workers, your neighbors, people in general. Would you say that you land on the side of trust or skepticism, faith or doubt? And what about your relationship with God? Well, this time on the Discover the Word podcast. What I want to do this week is look at the relationship of faith and doubt, suggesting they're kind of an odd couple, but they are a couple. You know, they do go together in our walk with Christ. And that's Elisa Morgan. And so pull your chair up to the table with her and Mark DeHaan and Bill Crowder and Daniel Ryan Day as they explore together some passages in the Bible about faith and doubt, passages about this odd couple. And this is Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. And I hope you'll find this a helpful hour of discussions as we explore this odd and often troubling couple of faith and doubt when it comes to our relationship with God. Because we kind of have the tendency to look at faith and doubt as being mutually exclusive. I mean, if we have faith, well, then we can't and we won't doubt. And if we doubt, well, then we're not having faith. I think we'd all have to admit that at times we have found ourselves more on the doubting side of things than on the faith side of things. And so if you're there right now or you know someone who is struggling with doubt in certain areas, this will be a helpful discussion for you to be part of. We'll be talking about things that can contribute to or be factors in the doubts that challenge our ability to have faith in God. Things like fear and disappointment and proof or a perceived lack of proof. But it's often this odd couple, faith and doubt, that seem to inhabit our perspective at the same time. And so let's get started. Let's listen as Elisa leads Mart and Bill and Daniel into this conversation about the odd couple. I want to ask a kind of a large question. And the question is, do you think that doubt and faith can coexist together? I don't know if they can or not, but I think they do, <laughs> and I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I've thought a lot recently about whether those are opposites, like we tend to make them out to be, mm-hmm. uh, that doubt is the opposite of faith, mm-hmm. and I'm not so sure anymore that that's the case. You know, we typically think that doubts are really bad for faith, don't we? Mm-hmm. But I think if we, you know, turn it upside down and, and look at doubts, I'm going to suggest that they can serve our faith. Mm-hmm. What's your response to that? I'd like to hear why you think that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and, and I hope you're right because a lot of times people who treat faith as being absolute, I believe with all my heart that's what God's going to do. Mm-hmm. I can't be there. I can't get there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and also it has some pretty stark consequences when what they absolutely believe God's going to do doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And oftentimes I think our doubts are connected to our questions. And we should always have some question burning within us about who God is or how he works or how the world works. And so if we feel like we understand everything, we're probably missing something. And so I think in some ways those doubts are good because they're typically connected to questions. And those questions open us to being amazed by God in some way, just as much as maybe something we're struggling with. And I think all that lives next door to humility. Yeah. Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. there's something, but just for a second, how can doubts be bad? Because we're already slipping over into doubts are good, but how can doubts be bad for our faith? Well, I think maybe that's why we were so eager to talk about them being good Mm -hmm. because we've probably been at places in our lives where our doubts have led to discouragement or Mm -hmm. anxiety or wondering if Mm -hmm. God's even real. Mm -hmm. Um, Walking away from the faith altogether. And that can be a really dark place too. And I think sometimes doubts can be bad for us if we want to doubt because it kind of clears the road for us to not have to be concerned about Mm -hmm. the presence of God. Mm -hmm. Just live on our own. Yeah, Yeah, I think your initial question is really what I want to understand more about how does doubt relate to faith because mm-hmm. I know the scriptures tell us whatsoever is not of faith is sin so if doubt is the counterpoint to faith then yeah doubt is a problem mm-hmm. but if they have a different relationship to each other then 
doubts could have an appropriate place done properly yet not be sin. So well, I think that's really mm-hmm. good because mm-hmm. you just hit the bell on that and all of a sudden, you know, that verse comes to mind. That creates a lot of tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things already that we probably all have assumptions as to what doubt means and what faith means. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we may actually see those words differently mm-hmm. too okay. because we might have a different perspective of mm-hmm. what faith even is. Mm-hmm. So let's bring all of this angst, all of this grist, you know, into our conversations as we move forward. What I want to do this week is look at the relationship of faith and doubt, suggesting they're kind of an odd couple, but they are a couple. You know, they do go together in our walk with Christ. Um, But to understand it, what I want to do is each conversation is look at doubt and something. Because in scripture, in various passages, we're going to see doubt paired with something. And then how does that something and doubt affect our faith? And mm. the first pairing we're looking at in this conversation is is the pairing of doubt and fear. You know, how mm. does doubt lead to fear or fear lead to doubt is probably the better way to put it. And so let's pause there. Can you think of a time when you've been afraid, okay, and it led you to doubt? And I'm going to start right off with this. Is I can't even believe I did this, but Evan, my husband, pointed it out to me, which mm-hmm. he's great at. Just a little while ago, my teen grandson got very, very ill. And I thought, oh, my gosh, he's got COVID for sure. And he went and got tested. We had to wait several days. And I went immediately to being afraid for my 17-year-old grandson, to being afraid for my six-year-old grandson, to thinking, okay, now my six-year-old grandson's going to get COVID and die. And then my daughter's going to just lose her everything. I went all the way in like three seconds, Mm -hmm. you know, from Mm -hmm. a possible diagnosis to everybody dying. But that can happen to me when I become afraid. Suddenly, I doubt. Yeah, and I think fear does that to us because by nature, we want to be in control of things. And when we're fearing, it's usually because there's some unknown quality of something going on that we know is outside of our control. Mm-hmm. Hmm. See, that's what came to my mind, too, because I thought when I'm afraid, I don't even necessarily think about God in that moment, yeah. but I want to take control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Let's go into a passage where this is really lived out. And let's go around and read it together. This is Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to do 22 to 33, a hunk of scripture here. But let's go around together and listen to the words that are used in Matthew that bring up fear, that bring up doubt, that address faith. Okay, so Daniel, would you start us? Matthew 14, 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. Well, he dismissed the crowd. Okay, just real quickly, immediately, they've just finished feeding the 5,000-ish people. So, big miracle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. After Jesus dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they're terrified. And then in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Okay. Not only had they observed and participated in this amazing miracle of feeding 5,000 people with very little food, it's also following the execution death of John the Baptist. So it's not all glory. There's some hard Mm -hmm. stuff, too, and John's disciples come and, you know, it's just a confusing time perhaps but you know that's important mm -hmm. because that would have raised i think real questions in their minds about what's happening if john Mm -hmm. bigger than life john Mm -hmm. friend of jesus ends up losing his head where's this thing going yeah Mm -hmm. well and on a more personal level even what's going to happen to us yeah and then there's that all of us have taught in settings before and I feel like always it's either that night or the next day you kind of have the crash <laughs> yes. after the high moment yes. of, of teaching or whatever or being on and they just came out of this amazing miracle 
mm-hmm. where they had a role to play in mm-hmm. that, gathering all of the pieces afterwards and it's 12 baskets full and passing mm-hmm. out food and all of that. Mm-hmm. So even that is tiring. And then seeing that they're in the boat and the wind's against them, there's nothing more tiring on a boat than having the wind in your face the whole time. So tired, emotionally, mm. exhausted, questions after seeing what happened to John the Baptist. Everything's amped up. Yeah. And then they see Jesus walking on the what? <laughs> the yeah. water? We just read it because we read it so many times. But this is, they think he's a ghost. Mm-hmm. And how do you respond? We've got some words here, you know, can you go back and see him terrified? Yeah, and for them, it's even scarier because water was one of the places where the underworld and the above world met. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that they assume he's a ghost immediately is like, see, the underworld is showing up on Earth. Mm -hmm. So it'd be even scarier to Mm -hmm. them because water was always this scene of chaos. That's so good, Daniel. What great context. That's their their world Mm -hmm. they lived in, their beliefs that they lived in. So they're afraid of the elements rising up. They're afraid of a supernatural expression of the elements rising up. Mm -hmm. I do think it's interesting that as we were going through it, you see the word fear several times, Mm -hmm. but it's almost as if Jesus then diagnoses it by saying, why did you doubt? Mm -hmm. He doesn't say, why did you fear? Mm-hmm. He says, why did you doubt? Yeah, he sees straight through the emotion to where that emotion can take us. Mm-hmm. So with me, with my COVID-stricken grandchildren, you know, mm-hmm. I go all the way to death. And by the way, he tested negative, which mm-hmm. I'm grateful for. But Jesus, you're right, Bill, diagnoses this. This is a really an issue of doubt. Mm-hmm. Where does your fear lead you? And you know, I think that's an example. Our fear can lead us in a couple of directions, can it? It can lead us to crash or it can lead us to our creator. Okay, so does Jesus at that point assume that they know it's him? They do notice, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come on the water. And Jesus says, come, and Peter gets out of the boat, and it's after that, when Peter begins to sink, that Jesus says, you. Okay, one of the Gospels indicates that Jesus had not joined them yet. That's in the Mark passage, and that's a good one to bring up because Jesus goes further in that Mark 6 passage and talks about their hearts were hardened. Yeah. I think that's where I see this kind of a, almost doubt can be like a hinge point. Or let me say it this way, maybe our emotions can be like a hinge point that lead us over into the doubt that is unbelief, that is giving up, or it can be like a hinge point that moves us to choose. Okay. So in that Mark 6 passage, he says, you have hardened hearts. And that really means you've given up. Yeah. You know, you're like stuck. You're not yeah. willing to that, believe okay. anymore. And that's good. The last time I read that, it made me wonder, had he told them before? Mm. Now you go ahead and get in the boat going, and I'll catch up with you. He did. Or something mm-hmm. like that. It's a very similar context to this. So you know, the 5,000, John the Baptist, So how is he going to catch up with them? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're probably assuming he's walking around the other side or he's going to get on another a boat. Yeah. I doubt they're thinking he's going to come walking across no. on the water. <laughs> but, but so, so that's why when they see him, it's like their first assumption is makes ghost. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't figure out why he assumed that they would know that it was him. He would have sensed that they were scared to death. Well, when they cry out in fear that it's a ghost, Jesus says, take courage, it's me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Don't be afraid. And even then, Peter has a little bit of a like, Okay, mm-hmm. if it's you. Mm-hmm. Let's have some proof. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if it's you, mm-hmm. tell me to come out. Yeah. And then Peter walks on top of death, right? He walks on top of this place where death and yeah. life meet. So for this conversation, as we dip our toes in the water mm-hmm. of doubt, <laughs> you know, I think we see that fear can lead us to doubt. Our emotions can be a hinge point that can lead us to doubt or they can lead us to faith. And in this particular situation, maybe what Jesus is illustrating is invite me into your fear. And he says, take courage. That's his answer when we're doubting, take mm-hmm. courage. And he's the one who's providing it. There's a, a man named Ron Rollheiser who I've read some of his work, and he was talking about this particular passage. And Peter, he said, you know, some days we walk on water, some days we sink like a stone. And then we walk on water. And I think there's a a grace in that understanding that doubt and faith can coexist. In fact, our doubt can strengthen our faith as we allow it to follow us to our Father. Okay, let's dive right in. (laughs) Is doubt the same thing as unbelief? 
I almost wonder if you need some belief to have doubt. Ooh, it sounds like a philosophy question. Because if you're going to doubt something, there has to be something within you that's like, is this true? Mm. Which has that little seed of wondering, that seed of like almost holding to something in order to ask the question. Okay, that makes sense. I was thinking that maybe you had to believe something before you doubted it, but... Yeah, maybe that way too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, but you've mm-hmm. raised another side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, what I'm wondering is unbelief the same thing as disbelief. They sound semantics. They do. But something inside me seems to want to think that unbelief is a different thing than disbelief. Tease that apart a little bit more. Can you give an example? If you talk about disbelief, it's like you see something you don't know what to make of it. Mm-hmm. I can hardly, I can't take this in. Well, it's like disbelief, like I see a plant across the room, but it can't really be a plant. Yeah. So you undo the belief in a way. But unbelief is, I'm not sure if that's a plant. Is that? Well, unbelief is somebody tells you who should know it's a plant and you're not buying it. Ah. They just feel different to me. They do. Although they're, at least in my limited experience with these terms, they're used kind of interchangeably. But I think the point you're making in your question, Bill, is that unbelief has this element of will, you know, just against, I am not going to believe that, that this element of rejection almost, whereas disbelief has more of a confusion or um, an openness to it, maybe. Mm -hmm. But in both cases, you may have a lot of good reason Mm -hmm. to move forward in unbelief because you just, you won't accept that because you, you know why you should not believe it. Okay. We also struggling with this one, you know, is there a difference between disbelief and unbelief and how about wrong belief? You know, Mm -hmm. wrong belief can really push us into doubt as well. Yeah, and I would ask too, what do we mean by belief? Do we mean trusting in something? Do we mean conviction about something? Mm -hmm. Or do we mean just acknowledging that something's factually correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I believe this is true. Okay. Mm -hmm. It almost seems like they all overlap. They do. It really depends on how you're using any one of the words. Again, let's drill down to what's at the core of the heart on the Mm -hmm. issue. You know, what Mm -hmm. is the posture Mm -hmm. of the heart? As we continue this conversation about doubt and faith and how can they coexist? How can doubt shape our faith, strengthen our faith? How can it ruin our faith? You know, what is the role? I want to look at a passage where the concept of unbelief is included with Mm -hmm. doubt. And maybe it'll help us understand some of this because it is kind of gnarly. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 to 19. Now, this particular account is also included in Mark chapter 9 and Mm -hmm. also in Luke chapter 9. So we may jump into one to pick up a just another different verse or something for understanding. But let's read Matthew 17, 14 to 19. Let's just go around. And uh, you want to start a smart verse 14? Okay, at the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. Let's pause there. They've just come down from the transfiguration. Okay. All right. That would be Jesus. And that would be coming down both literally and (laughs) metaphorically. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah, because of the miracle they'd seen on the the mountain. Where they'd seen Jesus transfigured and they're awestruck. But the crowd didn't witness all of that. The Mm -hmm. crowd's at the base of the mountain. So the disciples... Peter, James, and John, and Jesus are coming down, okay? So again, Mark, verse 14. Okay, again, at the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. And a man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. And Jesus' response, Daniel? Yeah, it feels a little harsh. Yeah. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Okay. In response to your comment, Daniel, I think it's interesting when Jesus says, you unbelieving and perverse generation, Matthew doesn't tell us who he's saying that to. Is Mm -hmm. he saying it to the disciples? Is he saying to the crowd? Or is he saying it to the Father? It doesn't tell us who he's addressing. No, and in either case, it, it has always bothered me. Now, to this mm-hmm. day, really. How harsh when, it is. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would say even 
Jesus's ultimate response has been something that's bothered me too. It's because you just have a little bit of faith. Mm-hmm. If you had enough belief or yeah. faith or whatever word we want to put in there, then you should have been able to yeah. get rid of the demon. In fact, just about anything in the world's possible right. for you if you believed enough yeah. is how it feels. Yeah, I think so. I, the only thing that has ever made sense with me is like Jesus is playing cards and he's got a hand and he's playing his cards, but he's not throwing them all on the table yet. Mm-hmm. He's got something he's going for, but he hasn't yet revealed it. And we know his heart and we know that his heart is fair and it's compassionate and it sounds horrible. And I want to tie this up with a bow right now. <laughs> but let, <laughs> let's hold the tension here and continue this conversation. He said, you have so little faith. And yet then he says, if you just had it as small as a mustard seed, which is not big. So there is almost like unbelief versus a little belief kind of a thing. In Mark's version in chapter nine, verse 22, the father says, if you can do anything, have mm. pity on us. And help us. Hmm. Jesus responds, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. And I think about his comment in Matthew, just a mustard seed's size of faith, just believe Hmm. that much. And immediately the boy's father exclaims in verse 24, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. There's that word. And Jesus ends up saying this kind can only come out by prayer. Let's go back to that concept of unbelief, uh, as Jesus called them, an unbelieving and perverse generation. Maybe that word generation helps too. That's a big word. It means everybody. It means not just the father, not just the son, not just the disciples. It means everybody, this whole generation, this whole group. But it falls on the disciples. Or the crowd. Maybe, yeah. Okay. It could be the crowd, because remember, as you read, there's a crowd waiting for him at the foot of the mountain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and there's a bunch of religious leaders in there who have been accusing the disciples. Right. Mm -hmm. Good point. And Mm -hmm. I'm not disagreeing with it, at least. I'm just saying that in that moment, the disciples seem to be the ones who couldn't figure out why they couldn't do it, why they couldn't deliver him. And so does the father. He's going, why couldn't they? Why couldn't and, they? I mean, they should mm-hmm, be able to do it because they're right? your followers, Jesus. But then Jesus talks to him directly, which I love this. And we're back to the intent of the heart. And he says, do you believe? You know, he, what do you mean, if I can? Okay. And mm-hmm. then the father immediately responds. And you see the pivot mm-hmm. of his heart, the mm-hmm. pivot what of is his it? What doubt. Is, what is the pivot? I believe, help my unbelief. Okay. He asks mm-hmm. for help in his unbelief belief and his lack of belief. And so that goes back to our question of how does unbelief affect doubt? How does doubt become unbelief? How does unbelief and faith, can they coexist? Mm. What do we do with that? Well, obviously, to some extent they can, because he both believes and asks for help with his unbelief at the same time. Which sounds like you and me, doesn't it? But I think think (laughs) we know that he believes because he brought his son to Jesus in the first place. Mm. I mean, if he didn't believe something about Jesus, he wouldn't have even bothered. Right. Okay, now that's really interesting, Bill, because that goes back to how we began asking this question. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't believe something sort of possible, you wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so he is believing something's sort of possible. Is the doubt at this point, why couldn't the disciples fix him? I don't know that we know. I would, I mean, as a parent, mm-hmm. I would say it probably is that lingering doubt that things will ever be any different. Because it's his whole life that this boy has been suffering. You know, when I was trying to personally own this kind of doubt, the doubt that's unbelief in reading this passage, I came up with this phrase of, I think God is asking me to believe that he can. But I go, I believe that he can, but I don't think he will. Yeah, that's where we are. And that's my doubt. Right. But also yeah. the disciples are there. Mm-hmm. It says after the disciples asked mm-hmm. Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast out the demon? Mm-hmm. And that's a legitimate question because earlier in the Gospels, they had been given the spiritual yes. authority to do that exact thing. Right. And here they failed where they had succeeded in the past. Why not this time? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. mm-hmm. So in other words, what you're bringing up is there's two elements of unbelief in this passage. One is the disciples, and it's probably those that did not just watch Jesus be transfigured. But they're just wondering. Yeah. And the other element is the father, who has, as you said, Daniel, a very emotional response of, I've tried everything all all my kid's life. Nothing Mm -hmm. has worked. Mm -hmm. I kind of believe God might or he can, but I don't think he will. So help me believe that he will. And that's where I find myself. And I think for me, it's a matter of, do I dare Do I dare believe that God can and he will? I'm scared to go there. I don't want to be disappointed. I don't want to get a no. And I think, too, it feels to us like it's presumptuous Mm -hmm. 
to presume that because he can, then automatically he must. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think to me at least, when I get into that space where I think, well, of course he can, that's what he's going to do, I feel like, okay, now I'm presuming on who God is. And yet maybe there is a a piece of what we experience as harshness from Jesus. Maybe there is a piece of his grief that we don't have a heart posture of ask to him, that we assume a heart posture of he can, but he won't. But if we assume a heart posture of he can and he might, might that please him? That we really understand the heart of our Father to give us good things? That we would ask, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help the part of me that doubts. Can you help me move from, I believe you can, God, and will you? Yeah, how unbelief or disbelief can be a factor in causing us to doubt in our relationship with God. We're talking about the odd couple of faith and doubt here on the Discover the Word podcast and exploring whether it's possible for faith and doubt to uh, kind of coexist in our Christian life and whether there's a way for doubts to actually fuel a growing faith in God. I think we know that's not always the case, but can doubts actually be good if they drive us toward God? Well, that's what we're talking about. You're at the table with Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Mark Hahn, and Daniel Ryan Day. Well, if there's one predictable thing about our lives, it's that we will somehow and at some point experience disappointment. Disappointment with our parents, with our friends and closest relationships, with our job, with our health, with ourselves. Yeah, disappointment is something that we all have to deal with. And so in this next segment... The group's going to talk about disappointment with God and how that disappointment can be a factor in causing us to doubt and can eat away at our ability to trust and have faith in God. But first, let's take a quick time out. And in this time out, I'd like to take just a moment to tell you about another podcast from Our Daily Bread Ministries. It's a podcast especially for women called God Hears Her that Elisa co-hosts with Aaron Eddy. You're listening to God Hears Her, a podcast for women where we explore the stunning truth that God hears you, He sees you, and He loves you because you are His. Find out how these realities free you today on God Hears Her. Welcome to God Hears Her. I'm Elisa Morgan. And I'm Erin Eddy. Yeah, there are several seasons available for you to listen to. Uh, They're actually approaching 90 episodes now as they share their own experiences and as they explore with guests how their stories can reveal the stunning truth that God hears you, He sees you, and He loves you because you are His. Great guests, great conversation. Aaron and Elise have a lot of fun, and they talk about some really relevant issues. And so, Aaron and Elisa, how can our friends follow the God Hears Her podcast? Visit our website at godhearsher.org. That's godhearsher.org. And don't forget, God hears you. He sees you. And he loves you because you are his. And now, how disappointment can be a factor with the odd couple of faith and doubt. Can you describe a time when disappointment drove you to doubt God, his character, his provision, his presence, some kind of disappointment? It's hmm. a good question. There's been moments in jobs I know where mm-hmm. there's been disappointment mm-hmm. that's led me to wondering whether God has me in the right place or whether I heard him mm-hmm. in the right way when mm-hmm. I thought he was leading me oh, somewhere or something yeah. like yeah, that. I automatically thought of a job situation too, Daniel. And I think in those moments when you believe you're in a place where God has placed you mm-hmm. and then it mm. feels like things are going off the rails then you begin to doubt everything. Mm-hmm. Doubt your own understanding of God's direction and purposes. Mm-hmm. You doubt counsel of wise friends who encouraged mm-hmm. you. I mean, you just start doubting everything because things aren't as you thought they would mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. You know, marriage can be that way. Mm-hmm. 
for sure. You know, you think this is the one I'm going to trust for the rest of my life, and then choices or behavior or yeah. woundings yeah. happen, and you question that whole thing again. It's yeah. like, well, wait a minute. I thought you believed in God like me, or I thought I believed in God like you, or whatever. So again, are you talking about situations that cause you to doubt the character of God, mm-hmm. or situations that cause you to doubt how much you've got straight or not? You know Truth. what I mean? Yeah, I doubt myself a lot of times. I mean, the first thing that came to my mind as to situation is more of a global kind of thing. I see children who are dying and yeah. starving or people going mm-hmm. through horrific yeah. situations in life. How could a God allow that? Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, then I'm That's another one. closer to the doubting the character of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The one that I went to is throwing myself into what I now would call a formulaic understanding of faith, that if I do X, Y, and Z, God's going to respond with A, B, and C. Okay. You know, if mm-hmm. I'm obedient and I go to church and I raise my kids, then I'm going to end up with a cookie cutter, perfect mm-hmm. Christian life. And when your kids go wackadoodle or you make bad choices or whatever, that really challenges, well, did I get that right? Mm-hmm. Is that who God is? So we, as we continue this conversation about this odd couple of faith and doubt, and can they coexist, and how do they shape each other, this element, it's an emotion. It's probably the strongest emotional one we're going to talk about, of disappointment mm-hmm. plays a role in our faith, a strong mm-hmm. role. And I want us to look at one woman in Scripture and how disappointment may have affected her faith, may have affected her doubts. The first passage, we see her in two passages that I want us to look at. One's in John 20, 11 to 18. It's Mary Magdalene. And the first one, I don't think you're going to hear the word doubt or belief, so to speak. But let's get the context as we look at what the situation is. So, Bill, this is John 20, verse 11, and we're going to read down to verse 18 together. Okay, John 20, 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Good. Okay, let's just pause. Why is she crying? Because Jesus' body is no longer in the tomb where it had been buried. Okay, and before that, what else is she crying about? Well, because Jesus was crucified and died. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so she's got a lot of reasons to cry here, and she's incredibly disappointed. So he's dead. And his body's gone. Yeah. Okay, and then what happens in verse 13? They, the angels, asked her, woman, why are you crying? Yeah, she responds, they have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And Mark, verse 15. And Jesus asked her, dear woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. And sir, she said, if, if you have taken him away, tell me where you put him and I'll go and get him. Okay, let's pause again. Do you feel the disappointment that's bubbling up inside her? I mean, we don't see that word, but we know Jesus is the one who's talking to us, mm-hmm. what John says. you know, Can you feel that? And what kind of insight might you give us into her emotions? Yeah, well, I'm reminded of um, in the story that we looked at in our last conversation, the Mark version. In that section, Jesus takes some time to tell his followers, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again in three days. It says that they were afraid to ask him what that meant, but they didn't understand. Yeah. And so I'm just assuming that either she was there or would have maybe heard that at some point. But there is this context in which Jesus has kind of hinted at what was coming, Mm -hmm. But they never really got their minds around what that would be. Yeah, they couldn't because they believed yeah. he was Messiah and he was going to yeah. go ahead and deliver their nation. Yeah. So everything that they had ever learned and heard about Messiah was that when he came, then he was going to make everything right. Yeah. So all that's probably at play right here. Yeah. And I guess to me, the word disappointment, mm-hmm. I'm sure it carries because of all those messianic hopes that you're talking about, Mart, that they feel have not been met. But I hear a lot of confusion in her. Mm -hmm. First of all, he died. I didn't think he was going to die. What's going on with that? Mm -hmm. He was buried. Now his body's been taken. What's Mm -hmm. going on with that? Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, it just, she just seems to be grasping for something to hang on to. Swirling, swirling, swirling. She's beside herself. There's Mm -hmm. no question. Yeah, Yeah. that's how grief works. There's confusion, there's doubt, there's Mm -hmm. disappointment. All of that is Mm -hmm. tied together in those moments. And we go on in this passage and Jesus speaks to her. He says her name. Mary, then in verse 18, 
John writes, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Mm-hmm. Okay, so is that all tied up with a bow? Mm, not yet, because we know that they don't believe, and we're going to look at yeah. that in another conversation. But I want us to go back and look at another report of the incident after Jesus' death and resurrection. And this one is in Mark 16. Listen for doubts in this context, Mark 16. And just pick it up at at verse 1, Daniel, would you? Sure. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Bill? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Alarmed. Hey, Mart, verse 6. There's an angel there who says, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee, and you'll see him there, just as he told you before he died. Okay, Daniel, verse 8. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. When Jesus arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Okay. (laughs) To me, that provides so much context for the scene in John 20. Absolutely the confusion you brought Mm -hmm. up, Bill, the, the grief that you brought up, Daniel, the swirling of all of it. And you see in this Mark passage, all of these emotions, just name them. What do you see there? Bewildered. Mm -hmm. Alarmed. Mm -hmm. Trembling. Mourning and weeping. Did not believe it. Because Mm -hmm. they were afraid. Afraid. Okay. I remember one of our other conversations you asked if we thought there was a difference between unbelief and disbelief. Mm. And this sounds like disbelief to me. It's Mm. not so much a condition of the heart, which we were differentiating, you know, when I'm going to choose against you, God. I think that's why I've categorized it in the big word of disappointment. You know, disappointment is when you're hoping for something and it doesn't happen. Mm. And then you start to question yourself, as we suggested, Mm. God, his character, Mm -hmm. his plan, what I'm supposed to do, what does obedience look like? Why didn't I get what I was supposed to get when I obeyed? You know, all of it. And I love one commentator said, the resurrection doesn't magically dispel doubt. You know, it doesn't magically get rid of our fears. It doesn't magically make us believe. The resurrection is the pinnacle of our faith for sure, but it doesn't magically erase our humanity. You know, mm-hmm. And I think we see in these reports from John and from Mark, the, the humanness of these women and of the men, how afraid they were, how disappointed they were, mm-hmm. how they couldn't believe. Maybe I can just summarize it to say, I think disappointment really does reveal to us what we believe about God. And yeah. when disappointment reveals that God seems less than I hoped, frustratingly quiet. In that space, doubt can fuel faith. But I have to ask him. You know, I I can't usually drum that up on my own. Hmm. Can you? I have to depend on him. I have to fall back into what I know about him from the past in order to keep believing in the present. Hmm. And I think in those moments of such deep disappointment, We may be tempted to berate ourselves and, you know, beat ourselves Mm. up about them when maybe the invitation we're getting from the closest followers of Christ is to feel the feels, if you will, Mm -hmm. you know, feel the feels and ask God to give us the faith Mm. that we lack because he's the only one who really can. A helpful conversation about how to deal with those times when disappointment drives us to doubt God. Well, you had to know that at some point, this study about the odd couple of faith and doubt was going to take us to the disciple, given kind of a nickname by us over the years because of how he expressed his desire for proof related to whether Jesus was really alive again after his crucifixion. Doubting Thomas asked for proof. And so when proof 
is a factor in the odd couple of faith and doubt. That's where the conversation will take us next. Do you have somebody in your life who doubts that God is real? And how do you respond to their doubts? I'm smirking right now because mm-hmm. I feel like I am that person often. Whoa. You're the person in your life? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think sometimes when I look at what's happening in the world and some of the experiences that I've had and things like that, I ask that question. Mm-hmm. And I have found that God meets me in those questions in very real and helpful ways. But I've definitely asked that question. I feel like sometimes I look around and it's everybody else in my life that feels pretty confident God's <laughs> real and working. <laughs> you know, you're getting to my conscience because there's a part of me that says, you know, I don't want to go there. But the reality is I do go there because when I try to imagine why there's a God there in the first place, it doesn't make any sense to me. And the whole idea of eternity and eternal God, that makes me, cre- I just can't stand the thought of it. But what I have to do is to come back, I look at a tree mm. and I say, wait a minute. There has to be a God. And then I go back to Jesus and the creation, and it'll come back together. Yeah. So I don't have those doubts very long. Yep. I think some people have them forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for me, it's like, I've okay, I've known enough. I've experienced enough. I know he's real. He's been yeah. real in my life. And when really, really bad things happen, I yeah. think maybe it sticks a oh. little longer. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. 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 I do the same thing that you were talking about. I, I tend to go evidence of creation okay. demands a creator. Yeah. Uh, okay. First cause. Okay. Uh, that. Yeah, I've been listening, and you guys have been more concrete in your responses than in some of our other conversations. And I think that's fascinating because what I wanted to dig into in this aspect of how faith and doubt connect together, I wanted to talk about doubt and proof. Mm. Use the word experience, Mart. Mm. You talked about mm. looking around you. Proof is a big part of our concern. And sometimes it's an emotional proof. And sometimes it's an experience that mm-hmm. happens because I prayed and asked God and I saw him answer yeah. directly. I journaled mm-hmm. about it and it came on a given day and boom, boom, boom. But proof is not foolproof. You know, all you have to do is think about in our last conversation, we were talking about the resurrection. And um, when Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, they didn't believe him. Mm-hmm. She didn't have any proof except this is what she says. But in Matthew 28, when Jesus appears to a group of followers, it says many when they saw him worshipped him, but some doubted. Mm-hmm. So even still. when they saw him mm-hmm. yep. and had yeah. proof, they still struggled with right. it. Right. Thomas wanted to touch him. Yeah. Right. yeah, Thomas wanted to, well, let's actually look at these passages because um, proof is available if we want to find it. But even when we see proof, there's still an element of the gift of faith, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the choice to believe. I want to actually pick up right where you were, Bill, talking about Mary Magdalene, where we were in our last conversation. But l- let's look at another context. This is in Luke 24, verses 11 to 12. And so, Mark, would you grab those? And then we're going to go and look at Thomas. Okay, start with verse 11 just says, but the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. Okay, so the women are coming from the empty tomb, to give the context, going to the disciples, reporting what they saw, and then read it again, Mart. Okay, 11, but that story then sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look, and stooping in, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings, and then he went home again, wondering what had happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Peter runs to the tomb to see what happened, and he went away wondering what yeah. had happened. In John's gospel, John says when he and Peter ran to the tomb, he said that when he looked in, he believed. Oh, I'm so mm-hmm. glad you brought that up. That's <laughs> right. John believed, yeah. and so Peter So he wondered. saw it as proof, and Peter apparently saw it as further reason for question. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the assumption would be someone probably stole the yeah. body out. I mean, that would be like the reasonable expectation yeah. if the tomb was empty. And aren't we left with the question, though, is what was it about seeing those linens that John saw mm-hmm. that caused him to believe? Well, there wasn't a body in them anymore. I mean, no. some of it depends on how you think they did burial. My understanding of how they did burial is they wrapped the body in strips of cloth and they wove spices and ointments in yeah. between, and it became like a cast. Yeah. yeah. And so all of a sudden, if he looks in there and he sees the cloth, and it's in the shape of the body, but the body's not in there yeah. anymore. It had to be something like that. Mm-hmm. That it was still all wrapped up, you know, intact. But flat or flat. something. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and we can have great conjectures, and God gave us an imagination, and I love that. But I love, too, what you guys pointed out. You know, you've got two disciples 
both were in the innermost circle. They knew mm. Jesus as well as anybody could. You've got Peter and John. Peter goes and he looks into the tomb and he wonders. John goes and he looks into the tomb and he believes. Yeah. And there's something there that's so individual that I love how God responds to us. Two believers, so to speak, one believes and one doubts. Okay, and going back to this, the disciples, when all the women run to share, and Peter is going to take it into his own hands and go look for himself, but they didn't believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Now, why would the women's words seem like nonsense to the rest of the disciples? Well, as Daniel said in a previous conversation, in the world we live in, people don't rise from the dead. <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> that just doesn't yeah. happen. Yeah, and they still had to be traumatized by that crucifixion. Yeah, I They had to be shuddering yet. And isn't it you know, maybe yet another illustration of the individualism of our faith? Each one of us has our own interaction with the opportunity yeah. for faith. Mm -hmm. So you're seeing each one of them is having a divine encounter with the proof of the resurrection. Each of us. Each of us, each of them, each mm -hmm. of us. Now let's go to the one that may be the most familiar to all of us in this conversation about doubt and faith. And it's in John chapter 20. And I think maybe let's summarize it and then we'll read a couple of verses. What's the context here? So the disciples are hiding out in a room and the door's locked and probably because they're afraid that what happened to Jesus is gonna to happen to his disciples which is probably why Peter denied Jesus because he was afraid of what might happen to him after watching what's happening to Jesus. So they're kind of hiding out together, afraid. Yeah, again, the door's locked and okay. they're just hanging out together. And Jesus comes in and in verse 19, he says, peace be with you. He stands among them. Mm -hmm. And after he says this, he shows them his hand and his side. And the disciples' response is what? In verse 20. They were overjoyed. Overjoyed. Okay, and Jesus again says, peace be with you. I'm going to send you. Now, in verse 24, Bill, would you read just a couple of verses sure. down? And let's get the context of what's happening here. Verse 24, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means twin, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And so what do we expect God might do to such an audacious comment? Well, he's not necessarily saying he doesn't believe in God or believe, he's saying he doesn't believe the reports, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He doesn't yeah. believe the people claim to have seen it. Yeah, he's having his own situation because they have seen proof of resurrection he hasn't seen it. He wants to see the same proof that they saw. He hasn't run to the tomb. He hasn't seen Jesus yeah. in yeah. person. So what does happen, Daniel, in verse 26, and then go on down to um, 28? A week later. That's a long time. So this is not a quick <laughs> resolution. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. I wonder if he wasn't with them before because he was in such bad condition. Maybe. Distraught even more than the others, mm -hmm. so that he wasn't following along. Just weeping along. and yeah, grieving yeah. and unable to, mm -hmm. Yeah, he's the one who, had, when Jesus said he was going to raise Lazarus, he said, let's go to Jerusalem so we can die with him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But they didn't yeah. die with him. That's right. great insight, yeah. yeah. Good. So this time Thomas is with them, though the doors were locked, so I guess that idea is repeated in the story. <laughs> Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Wow. Mm. Again, so personal. If you're Thomas, you've got to wonder, which one of these guys told Jesus what I said? Because <laughs> <laughs> in his mind, how else would Jesus know that he had said, unless I put my finger, unless I put my hand? One of you guys ratted me out. Mm. That's a good point. It happened mm -hmm. at different times, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. He got his proof. You know, he's in a definitely a doubt. Whether it's true unbelief, couldn't be it completely an unwillingness to believe because he said, unless these things happen. <laughs> so I'm really touched by, you know, I might assume that God's going to, you know, strike him with lightning in such a moment for that audacious request. But mm. in reality... He gives him exactly what he asked for. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, we've had another conversation we talked about, I know God can't, but I don't believe he will, kind of a thing. 
And, you know, we talked about then just having this posture of being willing to ask. And I think that applies to proof Mm. as well, is that God can be concrete. Mm -hmm. He can answer individual needs. Mm -hmm. You know, each of us is different. We're a different number on the Enneagram. We're a different compilation of letters on the Myers-Briggs. However you want to test Mm -hmm. us, we're different. We're unique. And I think God does understand that and is able to meet us uniquely. But I love the challenge of the last verse that that I want us to look at. It's verse 29 of John 20, because I think there's a challenge in it for all of us. Mark, would you get that? It's um, John 20, verse 29. Yeah, then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. And that would be people like us Mm. who believe but still struggle with doubt sometimes. And what does Jesus say about us? We're blessed. We're blessed. Hmm. Isn't that startling? It's hard to believe that we're blessed. It's hard to believe. Yeah. <laughs> we feel like we'd be more blessed if we were in the setting of the disciples and we got to see Jesus. Yeah, but in reality, we're probably blessed in that we've been given a heart to believe too. <laughs> and we've been given the Spirit. And we've been given evidence in the Scriptures. So there is reason to believe without seeing yeah but again it's whether you're going to trust the proof or not right yeah yeah when we feel like we lack proof we can doubt but that was a helpful part of the conversation about what to do when proof is factored into the odd couple of faith and doubt can doubt and faith coexist if you have faith in something does that mean you won't doubt and if you have doubts does that mean you don't have faith Well, that's what the group's been talking about in this episode of the Discover the Word podcast called The Odd Couple, Faith and Doubt. And uh, they will wrap up this study by talking about something that always works with magnets, uh, sometimes works in relationships. But does it work with The Odd Couple of Faith and Doubt? Well, We'll find out after this preview of what we'll be studying together in our next podcast. Next time on the Discover the Word podcast, Bill Crowder leads the group in some conversations about the abundant God. I grew up going to church, going to Sunday school, watching Bible stories presented on flannel graph. And you can take the image of God (laughs) and fold it up and put it in your pocket. And that's kind of the J.B. Phillips, your God is too small Mm. kind of problem. God's not small. Our view of him is too small. And I think when we start to think about his abundance, it opens up for us his bigness Mm -hmm. and his greatness and just how much more he is than we even can imagine. And I think that's really helpful Mm. when we're facing situations that are so much bigger than we are. Yeah, be part of some encouraging conversations about how God's provision for us is an abundant reflection of his generous nature. That's on the next. Discover the Word podcast. And now, the conclusion of The Odd Couple. What does the phrase opposites attract mean? And where have you seen it in life? The first thing I think of is a book that I saw that was written by a Christian counselor for marriage couples, and it had opposites attract, and attract was struck through, (laughs) and its place was put attack. Oh, (laughs) that's a good title. Yeah. Opposites attack. Okay. Well, and the phrase kind of comes from two magnets, right? Where opposite polarities actually attract to one another. And that's, stick. Yep, they stick. And it's yeah. kind of a magical when you try to push the two positives together. Yeah, right? that's yeah. right. What in the world's put, you know, yeah, <laughs> they won't what go. is this force? But oftentimes people, uh-huh. and it's relational usually, mm-hmm. like in relationships, you'll see two people with different personalities or something, yeah. and yeah. people will say opposites attract. And it's best, the things that each person has fills up the blanks in the other person's life. Yeah. Right. And I think sometimes we assume that what we mean by that is like everything between the two people is opposite. But in most of the relationships that I'm aware of, not everything in both people is opposite. There is a reason they were attracted to each other at some point or a reason they connected on something or something. So there are these connecting points in the relationship. They're not truly opposites. But down the road, even those can be negative, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, what originally attracted you, those points can eventually... 
work against you. Well, I'm thinking about oil and water. That's where I went to with the opposites. You know, they can't mix. They don't mix. Mm -hmm. They coexist, but they don't mix. And so that's another kind of a detrimental impact of Mm -hmm. the opposites. We've been talking about faith and doubt as an odd couple, Mm -hmm. as somehow being hinged together, and how doubt can shape our faith. We've had some really provocative conversations about this topic, and it's been challenging. And, and, you know, it may even bump some of us as we're Mm -hmm. listening in here. But I think that's the point that we're trying to make here is that doubts can challenge and deepen our faith, you know, if we follow them through. Makes room for faith. It does. Right. Yeah. What do you mean by that? It gives you an opportunity to trust, Mm. but you got to get there. And a lot of times we don't do the work to even recognize our doubts because Mm -hmm. we think they're bad. And so we just kind of deny them and move along. But then we have this kind of shallow, empty faith. Whereas if we really wrestle, we have the opportunity to deepen our faith, right? Do you think part of that is because in a Western culture, the idea of faith is very much a mind thing. So it's coming to a place of confidence in something. It's I've looked at all the facts and Mm. I've drawn a conclusion. I have not found faith to be that way for me. In fact, I would be very interested just from the perspective of three people who are a little ahead of me on the journey. How do we even define faith and belief? What does that look like from a biblical sense, not a maybe cultural sense? Mm -hmm. When I was young in the faith that I heard quoted a lot when people were struggling with doubts was uh, Romans 14, Whatever's not of faith is sin. So if you have doubts, Ooh. that's a sin. Ooh. And it was quoted in that way. Now, that's not what it means in its context, but that was the way it was always applied. What, what does it mean in its context, Bill? It's speaking of acting against your own conscience. If your conscience tells you something is wrong and you do it anyway, you're sinning against your okay. conscience. Oh, so it's like the definition in James, where James talks about if you know the right thing to do and don't do it, yeah. that to okay. you is sin. And yeah. you know, if we're going to agree that that's not the context of that passage, are there other evidences in Scripture where doubts mess us up, where doubts damage well, it messed our faith? Up Zachariah in the temple when mm-hmm. the angel came and told him that he and Elizabeth were going to have a son. And he immediately said the most logical thing you could ever say. He said, I'm really old. <laughs> and he was a little nicer to Elizabeth. He said, my wife is advanced in years. Mm-hmm. How can we have a kid? And the angel says, because you didn't believe, you don't get to talk for nine months. Yeah, I want to go back to, to Daniel's question when you basically said, what's wrong with you, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, especially because like when people talk about what salvation looks like yeah. and they talk about Romans, they often emphasize if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, yeah. then you are saved. And so you're like, well, what does this belief mean? You know, it's interesting because I'm probably live out of my head way too much. And I remember there were times in my life, there were years in my life when I gave myself to the study of evidences. You know, I call it Christian mm-hmm. apologetics. I was really into that. But I remember the darkest period of my life where I was doubting was not resolved out of my head. And I can't explain how it was. Mm-hmm. I was with a friend. I was in college. He told me a little bit of story about his life. I remember some of it, but all of a sudden I walked out of the room and I believed again. Ha! Huh. Mm-hmm. It was a crazy deal. It was mystical. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I've always looked back at that and said, I was really troubled. It was a very dark place that I wasn't even admitting to my friend. But it was resolved by something that should not have intellectually resolved my problem. And there's an element of faith that is a gift. It is not of ourselves. It is something God instills in us. I mean, we can choose to believe, we can choose to align, we can choose to point toward God and open ourselves to yeah. God and stuff. But in the end, you know, faith really is a gift. Yeah. So Danny, is that where you were coming from? Yeah, I think so. And I don't think it necessarily answers mm. my question or fixes the struggle. But I think what is encouraging is that doesn't sound like I need to convince myself to a place of confidence mm. yeah. that I've looked at everything and yeah. this is what is it's not all in your head right because yeah. it's experiential as well and it's not all up to you yeah and i think part of the, what you're getting at is in our western culture because we tend to be so cognitive in our approach to stuff i think there's a difference between faith and the faith <laughs> the faith is the stuff we believe faith is how we respond to the stuff that we believe <laughs> and i haven't and, thought of it that way That's helpful, isn't it? I'm just thinking in a salvational sense. But as far as faith 
to trust God for something. That's a different piece to it altogether, yeah. too. Yeah, and I agree that faith is a gift. I think we've seen that throughout our conversations. But then I want to ask the question, well, how do I know I have the gift? Yeah, and, and it's all so much, you know, faith is, you know, the tightrope walk. It really is this letting go. It is this mm-hmm. experiential abandonment of ourselves to something we will never fully understand. When you have been given faith, let's use those terms, mm-hmm. it's like, it's so real. It is. Yeah. It's realer than anything that I've been able yeah. to think out of my head. Yeah. It's like, you know it's real. You know God yeah. did that. You know it. You can never prove it to anybody else. You can tell stories, you can cite dates and answered prayers, but the reality of it is it's ethereal. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's difficult to quantify. And our overall conversation is, can faith and doubt coexist? Are they mutually exclusive? You know, they're opposites. Can they attract? You know, and what I think we're coming to, I think, is a great respect for the doubts that live alongside the mm-hmm. faith we've been given. Mm-hmm. Doubts can run us off the road. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If we turn our hearts away from God and toward them and down the road, they lead to. But if our hearts are committed in the direction of this God that's impossible to know without mm-hmm. faith, okay, mm-hmm. then doubts can serve us. And we've looked about how fear can create doubt, how unbelief can create doubt, how disappointment can create doubt, how lack of proof can create doubt. But instead of that always being a bad thing, When we understand that faith and doubt can coexist together, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a strengthening thing. And and I want to look at just one more blip in Scripture, and it's truly two verses from the book of Jude. Daniel, would you read Jude 22 and 23? Be merciful to those who doubt. Thank goodness. Mm -hmm. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. The context of Jude, probably written by, suggested by a younger brother of Jesus, but it's it's written to a specific church that had been infiltrated by false teachers. Mm-hmm. And I read those verses, and I'm just deeply touched. It goes back to what we read in our last conversation, Jesus' words, because you've seen me, you've believed, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed this blessed that Jesus pronounces over those who've been given faith Mm -hmm. and are still struggling. He's saying, be merciful to those who doubt, Mm -hmm. those who are wavering, be merciful to them. And then he goes on in some specific instructions there, save others by snatching them from the fire, Mm -hmm. to others show mercy mixed with fear. What is he talking about there? Any ideas? Well, the way I've always heard it explained is that the first part is for folks like we have portrayed ourselves to be at this table who are followers of Jesus or trying Mm -hmm. to be. And yet from time to time, we do wrestle with doubts about what we believe or why we believe it. The second part, saving others, snatching them from the fire, is those who do not yet know Jesus. Yeah. And then the last, to others show mercy mixed with fear, those who are so far from faith Mm -hmm. in Christ that you're actually fearful for them Mm -hmm. and what their outcomes are going to be. That's helpful. You know, overall, what I see in Jude's writing is a respect Mm -hmm. for doubt, a compassionate respect, Mm -hmm. mercy. Rather than judging someone and trying to talk them out Mm -hmm. of it quickly when that's not what their heart needs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially because if you've had true doubts, if you're a person who's had true doubts and you've brought them to someone who you thought was trustworthy, And then the way they responded was intensely with words that made you either feel like you're asking questions that are wrong. Mm -hmm. Typically, the response is, first of all, you don't talk to them again about something that matters. But then secondly, it pushes you even further away Mm -hmm. from dealing with what those core questions were that I think God was probably inviting them to deal with. Mm. You know, I think it's maybe fair to say that if Jesus would say to Thomas, blessed are those who believe and haven't seen. And then if his other followers write out, be merciful to those who doubt, if they can demonstrate that kind of compassionate respect, can we? Mm-hmm. Frederick Beekner is a theologian. He said, doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. <laughs> <laughs> they keep it awake and moving. I think it's so interesting yeah. that faith and doubt can be an odd couple. But as we hold the gift of faith, 
and allow God to continue to grow it in us, doubts can move us toward Him rather than away. And wouldn't that be great if our doubts could end up moving us toward God rather than away? It's possible. And I hope that these conversations have given you permission to be honest and to actually face and deal with the doubts that you have. It's not realistic to think that we would never have doubts. I think an ancient philosopher once said that it's good to question or to doubt everything, at least once, but we shouldn't and we can't stay there in those doubts. We have to land somewhere. And I hope you've been encouraged to land on the side of faith. You're listening to Discover the Word with Mark DeHaan, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And we're grateful to have friends like you joining us as we study the scriptures together here on Discover the Word. And we're also grateful for the supportive friends who make this ministry possible through their financial giving. Discover the Word is free for anyone to listen to, but of course, producing and distributing these daily studies comes at a large expense. And so your gift today, no matter the size, will help us continue to make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. You can show your support by giving online at discovertheword.org. Click on the Donate tab, and we'll have some options and some guidance for you there. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.